We have an African motorcycle adventure story today. Things go right, things go wrong, but there's lots to learn from this. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bee Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method, and the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio, made in the USA, and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Their website, www.cyclepump.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lamphere. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tax. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Ross. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeVell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com the MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Seventy-two-year-old Linda Bick is a well-known motorcycle traveler. In fact, she spent most of her life exploring the world by motorcycle. And on this trip, she decided to go to Africa to explore the country of Uganda in East Africa. She has her ups and downs on this adventure, as you're going to hear. But no matter what happens, Linda always manages to keep a smile on her face and her spirits high. Linda, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> you have just come back from a trip uh, to Uganda. You know, the last time that we talked, we talked about your book that you just brought out at the time called Into Africa. And that was from, uh, what, your 1974, 1975 trip to Africa. So that was probably the last time you were to that area. Well, it was the last time I was in East. Um, I couldn't actually go into Uganda because of Idi Amin. I skirted around it. Um, coming in from the Congo, I went round into Randa and, and and then into Tanzania and Kenya. So this time I, I went to see a friend of mine who lives in, in Uganda and um, I was able to go just about all around the country and also back into Randa for a, a couple of weeks um, and I was just amazed because the last time I was in Randa, it was all dirt roads. And this time, 
the um, since since the genocide in '94, they've uh, got a lot of money from the World Bank and and other countries. And they've um, the Chinese have come in and made the most fantastic roads, <laughs> and there's not there's not a lot of traffic, and it's just amazing. The, it's the best ride I've ever had was from the north of of Randa and coming down along Lake Kiva to the south of Randa. This is the best, <laughs> really. I recommend it. How long have you been traveling for? Um, I went away for three months. Yeah. Overall. Overall, crikey, about fifty-five years. Fifty-five years. And so, what you're saying is, you you didn't you never got to Uganda before. That, that was this is really your first time in. Yes, that's right. Yeah, because Idi Amin was uh, was raging around and killing everybody. Um, you know, in that time and expelling the Asians and expelling all sorts of people. So, um, I wouldn't. You know, you can't. You couldn't go in. So, what was your idea to go to Uganda? What? Why Uganda? And what was your plan when you get there? Well, I found out that this old school friend of mine who hadn't seen or heard of really since 1961, she was a really good friend of mine um, in England, in my school. And um, I found out, you know, I think we got somehow through Facebook or something, we got reconnected a couple of years ago. And uh, I heard that she had an NGO in um, in Uganda and she'd been there for about 16 years. Um, and so I said, oh, Liz, I haven't been to Uganda. Can I come over and visit you? And the, the main idea really was to visit her. And she said, yes, she'd be there. So I contacted Horizons Unlimited um, contact in Kampala, a, an English guy who lives there. And he's also been there for about 15 or 16 years and he has his business. And I contacted him and I, I said, look, I'd like to come over and, and buy a, a little motorbike to get around. Would you be able to sort of help me, you know, point me in the right direction? And he said, yes, no worries. So when I got over there, after I'd been a few days with my friend Liz, I caught a bus up to Kampala and stayed with Ian, Ian Parker, his name is. And, and um, he helped me go out and look for a bike and, um, and, I, and I got one. Why do you do that way instead of shipping your bike? Oh, it's far, far too. I live in Australia. <laughs> it's far too expensive. And I, I haven't actually, I've only got a little um, posty bike here. I haven't really got a, a you know, really long distance touring bike. And um, and I found it. I mean, I, I spoke to you last year or something after I came back from South America. Did the same thing in South America. I bought a bike and used it for three months around South America and then sold it when I left. And it's by far the best way to go because you don't have to have all these shipping charges um and uh, it's it's really easy to if you i mean i'm i'm very simple <laughs> i'm very I don't carry much luggage. I don't need all this fancy equipment that everybody's got. And, and I just take a rucksack with me and um, and I have a tank bag. I just strap the rucksack on the back with my tent and um, and just put stuff in the, you know, clothes um, in the tank bag, waterproofs and things like that. And then and that's all I need. So, um, in fact, I didn't, didn't even have any tools with me this time. Um, when I was in South America, I'd bought a new bike and I, actually, they were, I was given some tools with the bike, you know, how you have them all, a little toolkit. Um, but this time I didn't have any panniers, so I had nowhere to carry anything. 
So I, I just um, went to local mechanics if I needed anything done. I just went to, you know, even oil changes and, and uh, chain adjustment. I just went to the local mechanics because it's, it's very cheap over there, you know, labour. So it's, it's really good. Um, yeah, that's how I do it now. If I go, when I go to Thailand, where I just hire a bike for, for a while because it's so cheap to hire them over there. When you're buying a bike, though, when you go to another country, what, how do you handle the registration and insurance? Well, in this case, in this case, I had to keep it in. Um, I had to keep it registered in Ian's name. Um, when I went to South America, it was possible for me to to be sort of sponsored. Well, somebody would would okay me. I could go down to registration. I could have it in my name. But this time, it was if you weren't a resident, you couldn't get the bike in your name. So I put it in in Ian's name, and he wrote a, a letter for me that I could produce if I was going to cross the borders, which I had to cross the border to go um, into Randa, just to say that he get, he'd given me permission to ride it. And it was no problem. It was no problem. How do you find a bike? Well, <clears throat> when I was in South America, I went actually went round to, uh, looked, I looked on the internet because they always have, you know, internet uh, things there for selling bikes. But I went to the dealers in South America. It was... Um, it was very cheap over there, very cheap, much cheaper than here, to buy a 125 new. I, I didn't know where to, to, to look for a new one. So I went to the second-hand um, dealers uh, in the street, and there were, there were all these bikes there. And mainly they sell um, 110 Bajas, which the, um, you know the Indian bikes, because they're very popular for the for the taxis, the motorcycle taxis. But they, I saw these 125 Yamahas YD. It was quite an old Yamaha, but and they had about four of the same type. And I went round, and another <clears throat> friend of Ian's, a mechanic, came, and um, we started each of them up by putting a cupful of petrol in the carburetor. <laughs> we started each bike up and. And listen to the engine, and um, they said it wasn't any good looking at the, the speedometer because they could have been changed, you know. So, so we we went on what the engine sounded like, and then I looked around and I thought I looked at the sprockets and the chain and the tires and things like that, and they changed all these things around and they made a hybrid <laughs> from all these bikes and put all the best ones on mine. Um, there were riding it around I found several things that really needed replacing like fork seals when the fork seals are gone the brakes pretty awful <laughs> so I had as I went around Uganda I kept all the Ugandan mechanics you know in uh, in food by um by paying for them to, you know, to get these things done and by the time I finished my three months the bike was going so well <laughs> I just felt really sad about selling it because it, it was going much better by the time I'd had all these things done on it than when I bought it but um it didn't you know really didn't cost that it cost me about a thousand dollars US and uh, and I don't know, not all that much, you know, just a few hundred, I think, not very much at all to get things done on it. Uh, it was very economical um, and very easy for me to handle. It only had 16-inch wheels. Um, it just had a single seat and, and a big rack at the back. Um, and it was, I went through so many different types of, of uh, sand and mud and, oh, terrible pothole roads and everything. And it was... Um, 
it was just a lovely bike to ride for me because I'm only what five foot one or something, or something because <laughs> I'm short. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, and I haven't got much strength now. You know, only, you know, I don't know about fifty five kilos, something like that. And um, so it was just perfect for me. I loved it. I called it Silver. And every time I got on, I went hi ho, Silver. Off we go. <laughs> So, so once you've got your bike, which really was, you're saying is reliable at the end, it, it really gave you quite a bit of problem throughout the trip, didn't it? Well, it didn't actually give me problems. Well, there was a couple of times, but it didn't let me down. It's just that, you know, I, I knew that these things were needed doing. I knew it needed attention and I, I you know, I need, knew it needed sort of decent oil change times it only because it's only had a liter of oil you know i'd have to change the oil fairly regularly um and it, no it, i mean it didn't there's only a couple of times where i thought i've got to take it to to a, a mechanic and i found some i've had such a laugh with the mechanics you know such a laugh because they couldn't believe this bike and <laughs> there was this old woman riding around by herself on this old motorbike old and woman so linda you're, you're not how old are you <laughs> Uh, I just turned seventy-two in um, in Uganda. Yeah, seventy-two. I mean, yeah, that's not old, yeah. is it? I mean, how how it's old for them? I mean, I'm I <laughs> I don't feel old, and I can travel forever. But but uh, they, you know, for them, for them, for somebody that was a look in the age of a grandmother to be riding a motorbike, there weren't many women. Well, I didn't see any women over there riding motorbikes. So it was very strange. Is that an advantage for me? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you're saying because they see you as as a grandmother, sort of riding a motorcycle, doing this adventure. Is that a door opener for you? I suppose it is, really. Yeah, uh, I, they were all, all. Everybody was very um, open and friendly, and um, I think they are like that in Uganda anyway. But yeah, it usually is because they look, you know, they're very surprised to see a woman, an older woman, riding a bike. Yeah. You got on your bike and, and you head off. You're riding alone. Yes, yes. So yeah. no, nobody's traveling along with you or, or meeting up with no. you. You're sort of off on your own adventure. Where do you go? What, what's your plan? Well, the first thing to, of course, is to get a map <laughs> and uh, and have a look at the, um, the different uh, things that you can see. They don't have tourist information bureaus over there. Really, it's unbelievable. Um, and they, they have very few road signs. <laughs> so it's really, you have to have a sort of feeling about, well, I think I maybe ought to turn left here or I maybe ought to, because they don't have these. The only main roads are from Kampala to the bigger um, the, the bigger national parks like Murchison Falls or even, yeah, even to Kadepo, which is another big one in the north on the Sudanese border. They really don't have proper signposts, but they're the good roads. They're the ones that are sealed. Um, and that's because they have tour groups that go, you know, in, in tour buses and things like that. Uh, for an independent traveller such as myself has really quite a difficult time finding the things that I saw on my map because the map was a not a very good map and um and there and nothing seemed to correspond with the roads you know and where i was going <laughs> so i had some real adventures trying to find <laughs> trying to find the way and i ended up in some quite strange places um but uh, it's all part of the fun you know but it's a good it's a good thing to do are you looking for camping or are you staying at places how are you handling oh. the accommodation thing <clears throat> Okay, right. Well, 
I, I took my tent and there are some places where you can camp within these sort of, there are some, some tourist hostels, you know, like um, backpacker places or specific specifically really for Mzungos, which are, you know, white people. Um, and in, in those places, you can usually camp as well as, as places for people to stay. Um, but there are little, there are some hotels, there are little guest houses. So you've got a wide variety uh, of some of them, which are, you know, some not not very good idea to stay in. And, uh, and then there's others that uh, uh, you could stay in. Some of the big towns, of course, you've got posh hotels. But um, I've always found somewhere. Uh, I did, um, I did have a, a Brandt guide. A friend, my friend had a Brandt guide, which is a, a very good guide. And I also borrowed a, a Lonely Planet, which was only for East Africa. So it didn't have really much detail, but I got some, and it was old. It was all out of date. So I, I did find some things through that. Um, otherwise, you just ask, you know, ask in petrol station or something, and say, do you know, you know, a good cheap place to stay in town? Because everybody speaks English, you see, because it was a, an English um, colony. So no problem that way. It was it was nice for me to actually be able to understand <laughs> what people were saying and then get them to understand me. Because some of the other countries I've been to, you know, like in South America, I had to speak Spanish all the time. And, um, you know, and, and I did have to speak when I went to Randa, I did have to speak in French a little bit because they used to be um, French colony and, and they all had to learn French. And then in 2004, the government decided that everyone had to speak English. So these poor teachers <laughs> who had originally been teaching French, they had to learn English <laughs> to teach the students. So, yeah, but it's very all interesting, you know. It's interesting that you're not putting that much planning into this before you go. You're saying when you get there, get a map and then figure out where you want to go. It's sort of totally spontaneous. Well, that's the way I that's the way I travel, Jim. That's what I did in um, in South America. Really, uh, I got to got to Santiago, where there were some HU contacts in Santiago, and uh, and I just played by ear, you know. And in South America, I really had an easy trip because they're they're very up to date, you know. They're very modern, and they've got good bikes, good roads, and people have got. Um, Facebook link-ups and they have all these motorcycle um, uh, clubs, especially women, over in South America that I was invited to everybody's home the whole time. Just about every night I knew where I was going to be. But it's very, very different in Africa. I didn't really know where I was going to end up. It, I, was, I had an aim, but whether I was going to get there or not. So it was very – I yes, it was hard work, Um but then I, that's what Africa is. Africa is hard work. Uh, it's not like South America or, or Europe. So you just have to be prepared for that. Well, since you hadn't been there before, so when you're planning the trip, what did you expect Uganda to be like? Well, because I'd been in Africa before, I, I, I expected it to be a little bit as it was, like, um, you know, disorganized and, and bad roads and things like that. So, um, But as I say, I was going to see my friend and uh, I knew there were game parks and national parks and things over there, and 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 I knew that um, uh, it was it was a country that was very much loved by the British when they owned it. They called it the Pearl of Africa. It grows just about anything, you know. But I I didn't expect quite such yeah lush scenery. Um, 
and uh, and the change. You know, there are different. This up north is more sort of um, op wide open desert area. Well, not really desert, but you know, a savanna. And then in the south there are um, and west there are many crater lakes. Um, uh, and so they grow everything, but bananas are the most thing, and they live on um, a vegetable which is really a green banana called matoki. They have, they love matoki. It's like having um, potato. They also do grow um, our type of potato, and they call them Irish. <laughs> they call them Irish potatoes. They just, they just say, "Oh, Irish! You want a pound of Irish?" You know, it's like a, it's really funny. Um, so they're. Their diet is is quite different from ours, and if you if you want to have our sort of food, our mazungo food, you have to go to these restaurants that are for mazungos, because otherwise you're just going to be eating matoke and rice and beans and and things like that, which is okay. And chips, then they do make good chips with their Irish potatoes. Chips, you mean French so, fries? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, 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 right. yeah. We call them chips in England, right? <laughs> and that's <true>. great. <laughs> You mentioned about things being inexpensive there when you talk about the mechanics, um, but you found other things. I, I remember seeing that you said something about uh, camping. They were they were charging thirty dollars a night or something for camping. U.S. funds. Oh, that was that was one that was just in the national park. That was in the national park. Yeah, I I um I was a bit upset about that. That was down in Randa, and I I'd gone all the way down Lake Kivu, and I I went down to where I thought I'd crossed in from the Congo in. Um, in 74 but actual fact i should have read my book better <laughs> because I, I you're talking about the book you're talking about the book that you wrote <laughs> yes and i was thinking i came at the south of lake kivu and i didn't i came in on the north of lake kivu anyway i went down to um i went down to see um where I thought I'd come in, and I stopped to have a celebratory cup of coffee <laughs> at this at this uh, little hotel, and I went in and had a cup of coffee. And when I came out, I just recently had a new ignition switch fitted on the bike because uh, the other one was getting very worn, you know. And I and anyway, the new one was worse than the old one because it was it was stiff, and I was having real trouble getting it turned on and off. Um, so I was fiddling around with this switch and I put the bag down. Instead of putting my rucksack on my back, you know, I just have a little day pack that I always carry things in. And um, instead of putting it on my back, I just put it down while I was fiddling with this switch. And then this guy came up and started talking to me and he was speaking in French. Of course, I had to try and try and rack my brains to chat away with him in French. And then um, and then he actually fiddled around and he got he managed to just click the switch on. So I said, oh, merci beaucoup, monsieur, and jumped on the bike and went up the road. And then within a kilometre, I realised I hadn't picked my bag up. So I went round. Well, I turned around and went straight back. And of course, it had gone. And um, I spoke to the guy and I spoke to the, the, the people in the, the, in the hotel. I wondered if somebody had taken it into the hotel. And everybody came out and looking around. And I thought, well, that's gone then. That's gone. <laughs> I was really annoyed because it had my mobile phone and everything in it, you know. Didn't have my camera, fortunately. And I always have a money belt on, so would not have had any money or cards or anything like that. But it had a lot of very important things. So I jumped on the bike and I went up to this, I was on my way in the afternoon up to this national park and I got to the national park sort of mid-afternoon and I wanted to go in and I knew it was going to cost me $50 to go on a walk in the national park. I was going to do that the next day and I said, oh, I understand you've got a campsite here. 
And they said, yes, that'll be $30. And I went, what? $30? You've got to be joking. I've got my own tent. And they said, well, that's good. It cost you an extra $10 if you, <laughs> if you didn't have your own tent. So I said, no, I'm not staying here. <laughs> Tell me where I can go and spend the night. So they said, well, you'll have to go back out of the park, up the way I'd come, up this big, long hill. You'll have to go about 20 kilometres. And there's a place on the left-hand side um, called such and such. I can't remember now. And that's there is a you know place you can stay there. It's only $15, which to me is exorbitant, by the way, because I'm not used to this, spending that sort of money. <laughs> anyway, I went. I came, went rushing out of the park, you know, feeling in a bad mood. And... Uh, and then I uh, – and the roads, there's hardly any traffic on these roads. And this road was a really windy, you know, uphill road coming up, so it was winding going down. And I'd only been going there for about, you know, a half a kilometre or something. And this huge, great truck came directly towards me, big double-barrelled one. You know, we call them road trains over here in Australia. Big, long truck. And he was coming straight at me. And um, – I thought, oh, my God. And I pulled over to the side of the road to, to – there was a big drop at the side of the road. I couldn't actually get off, you know, the road like I do with normal other ones. And uh, and he pulled out and he 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 missed me. But his back wheels, you know, because it was a big, long truck, the back wheels were took a while to follow the front wheels. So I, I missed this truck by inches. And – he actually stopped and he looked out of his cabin to see if I was okay. And I was cursing and swearing at him. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot, you know, you're on the wrong. Anyway, then I realized I pulled off. I was okay and he went on. I realized I was actually on the wrong side of the road <laughs> because they change sides in Randa. They ride on they drive on the right. You know, like in France, yeah. they drive, and in Uganda they're on the left. And I, because I'd been in a bad mood and <laughs> I'd forgotten, <laughs> so that was a very close shave. And I tell you, I did not forget. I did not forget after that. So um, yeah, that was. Uh, so I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't pay thirty dollars to camp. But normally, it, normally it would only cost you, um, oh gosh, between eight to ten dollars at the most. To, to to stay in one of these camping sites, yeah, not so not a lot. It's relatively an inexpensive country to travel in, then. Yes, yes, it is, and the petrol's about the same price as Australia. Actually, it's not very cheap, but it's not terribly expensive. Um, it's yeah, and most most of the little um, little hotel thingies would you'd be paying again about eight to ten dollars for. For, to stay in a room or something, but you might not always have, you know, running water or <laughs> or a light. But you, it was okay. There was a bed, <laughs> so um, yeah, it was fine. Kind of surprising the, the price of the park, though. I mean, even fifty dollars for a walk the next day, fifty U.S. dollars. That, that seems like a lot of money for a country that doesn't have a lot of money. It seems. I mean, I, the locals wouldn't be going there. No, the locals don't have to pay that amount. Oh, it's, I it's see. Serious. It's most, you'll find most countries are like that, you know, in, in all the other countries I've been to. If you're a tourist, you pay the top whack. And you've got to remember, in actual fact, that um, I don't – they haven't got a lot of, like, mineral wealth. There's a lot of um, diamonds and things in the Congo, but they haven't explored um, Uganda and Randa for, for a great deal of mineral wealth. So they – and they, they – their main um, – it's mainly agricultural. So they have to – 
actually milk the tourists. Tourism is, is their biggest income. It's $50 a day in each national park. The Uganda Wildlife Authority, who run the parks, it's $50 a day. So the ones that I was in, I made sure I was only in there for 24 hours. <laughs> when rushing around to see as much as I could in 24 hours and I was out, you know. But they're worthwhile. The parks are incredible though, aren't they? Oh, yeah. If you want to go and see the gorillas, it's going to cost you a lot more. In Uganda, to go and see the gorillas, it's about $800. In uh, in Rwanda, it's $1,500. Ooh. Cheapest place is, um, is the Congo, which you would have to cross over into the Congo and get another visa, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it it'll, it's only, only cost you about $500. But that's to go on, you know, the guides will take you on a on a walk out. I'm not quite sure how long it, it takes to find the gorillas. But um, a lot of people do it, and that's one of their main incomes. And I think I should say, because we went to Kidepo National Park in the north where my friend used to live, her husband, her ex-husband, when they were there in the 70s, he ran that park in the north, Kadepo. And uh, while we went, we went up there to visit and we went to talk to the head men of the Uganda um, Wildlife Authority. Um, and they were saying that the reason they have to pay, you have to ask a lot of money for these uh, to, to go enter is because um, the animals, of course, don't know that there's a park boundary. And the animals wander outside the boundaries, and they they go and they they um, go into the the um, areas where people are living, and um, and go into their crops. So they're destroying a lot of their crops, and the people have obviously don't like that very much. And some of them um, some of them could try and go out and shoot the animals, uh, or some of them. But what they're trying to do is get these people to have guards, little guards within these communities. Who will inform inform the national park when there's a bat, when there's an animal problem? A national park can go out and and get get the animal, capture the animal, and take it back in. And, and they also want informers if anybody has um, has poached or has killed any animals, then then they will be prosecuted. And what they're trying to do to help these people is is give them money um, for health, giving them better health. Um, in you know. Um, facilities and to give them better roads because the roads are awful so that they're spending money within those communities because now with population explosion everywhere there's far more people living closer to the parks so what so you can understand really why they have to they have to charge this sort of money and then you don't want to avoid it, really. I mean, because it's going to something good. I mean, the the conservation exactly. of the animals. I mean, exactly. that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's good exactly. for everybody, whether you live there, whether you visit it's, there or not. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it, I mean, it's pretty spectacular to see. We're going to be right back and talk more to Linda. we we got a lot more things coming up. Stay with us. But before we do that, I just want to thank a couple of sponsors that have helped bring this episode to you. PSSOR, or Puget Sound Safety Off-Road. That's the um, off-road training division for Puget Sound Safety. And they've been doing it since 1996. Brett Tax is one of the owners. You know Brett from our Rider Skill segments here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, PSSOR has their 2018 dates up on their website. They offer tons of training for us adventure riders and more. So check out their... um, 
ADV training camps and their ADV training tours. Yeah, I, I think it's better to save yourself the mistakes of self-teaching and avoid the bad habits that you can develop when you're doing that, because that's what we, we tend to do. If you're, if you're not able to watch yourself, and if you don't know in advance, don't know the, the methods and, and the details to certain maneuvers, Save yourself all that hassle by getting some professional training. Go there, do it once, learn from it. And I really like Brett's mindset when it comes to training because he always wants to get us to do the most with our bikes using as little effort and energy to get it done correctly as possible. And that style, I think, will keep you fresh so you can enjoy your ride rather than stressing every time you come to some technical section. It can make all the difference, and it does make all the difference. www.pssor.com. And of course, when you talk to them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, it's that time of year again when many of us celebrate the festive season and get ready to ring in the new year. Well, now is the time that if you haven't already, to treat yourself to something that's functional, necessary, and has great value. Hey, that's actually a really good line. You could use that to sell this idea to your significant other. But what I'm talking about is IMS products, IMS foot pegs for your adventure bike. Look, they are race quality pegs designed and proven to be for our heavy adventure bikes, you know, your loaded up adventure bikes for control. They're constructed of cast certified 17-4 stainless steel using a certified heat treating, a homogenizing and annealing process. And they're built in the USA. And on, and on top of all that, they have a lifetime warranty. You know, I often say, I often talk about that, the IMS lifetime warranty, and it probably sort of zips right by you. But think about that lifetime warranty. That's a huge responsibility for a company to take on. And IMS Products has been around for over 40 years, so they know what they're doing. So to offer a lifetime warranty, that's a huge margin of safety for us customers. Hey, I ride with IMS pegs on my bike right now. I think they're great. They've made a huge difference for me for control and keeping my foot in place www.imsproducts.com and be sure to drop our name anytime you're emailing or if you're going to buy the pegs or even when you're speaking to them let them know that you heard it here on Adventure Rider Radio www.imsproducts.com but, but you said you're not really seeing most you're not seeing individual travelers there it's mainly groups that are going there there are a few individual travellers, but most people will go in. Yeah, they'll they'll go on tours. They they go on this with these safari people. You know, they've got these safari guides that take them out in four wheel drives and and take them around the parks. Um, so there's this there's not so many. Um, you know, I, I certainly didn't find, didn't find any other uh, motorcyclists at the time. Any other? But I mean, they must be there. They do go there, but. Uh, I didn't. I didn't come into contact with with any other touring motorcyclists. You never found your bag again. I guess everything you lost is is gone. Oh, no, no, it's gone, gone, gone. Mm. <laughs> and then just the last week, the last week, I I lost my camera with all my photos on it. Ah, so um, yeah. uh, I'm trying to get them back from Facebook now, which of course means they're not such high quality. But at least uh, at least I had put them up on Facebook. Jim, I'm used to this. I, I lose things all around the world, so I'm used to it. <laughs> well, you also, you also lost... Uh, how many pairs of glasses did you take with you? Oh, yes, I lost four pairs of glasses as well. Because I, I, had, I had three pairs in my bag. I had my, I had my night driving glasses, my reading glasses, and a spare set of reading glasses. And then I thought, oh, thank goodness, I have, I've still got my... my um, uh, my tinted um, riding glasses, you know, prescription riding glasses, sunglasses, which I've had for years. 
and um and I was waiting for a guy in a cafe in in Randa one night and and I, and I was sitting there just reading and having a cup of coffee and uh, and then when he turned up he said oh well we better go now before it gets dark I said I've lost my night glasses so I can't ride after <laughs> and I went to pick up these glasses and they had completely disappeared completely oh. I don't know what happened so I, yeah I've lost four pairs in this, on this trip and the, the, the OPSM here are going to be very happy because I'm got to make all these, get all these glasses back. Uh, we chuckle about it. Maybe Linda, what you should do is just not take anything with you anymore, and then you just you're not oh, going to lose right. anything. I actually I felt really relieved at the end. I thought I haven't got anything left to lose now. I've, <laughs> you lost your I don't phone, have to worry about anything. your camera, your glasses. <laughs> I mean, you just left with yourself. You even left your bike there. Yeah, yeah. That's what my friend said on Facebook. Come back before you lose yourself. <laughs> But overall, the trip was well worth it, regardless of what you lost. I can tell by the sound of your voice. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it, I, I, I was sort of sort of ready to finish. I, I'd come. This is what I've done now, Jim. I've decided that three months in a different country now um, is is about all I can physically take. Um, that trip that I did um, ten years ago, twelve years ago, when I went overland and I was on the road for two years, it just nearly killed me. You know, like I was. I was a complete mental and physical wreck by the end of it, and I don't want to go through that again. So um, I've decided that three months is enough. Um, and Uganda is is not a big country, and and Randa's even smaller. Um, so you don't have to travel very far in a day to to see sort of interesting things. Um, and and I'd seen most most of the I didn't see everything, but I'd been to four different game parks actually. Uh, during the, my travels around, and I'd seen these crater lakes, and um, and I'd met a lot of really nice people. Um, I've been to the Sesi Islands because my friend Liz, she, her NGO sponsors kids to come from the Sesi Islands, which are in Lake Victoria, to go to school because they're very into education over there. They really know that their kids have got to get an education to get on in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, I went over to the Sesi Islands to see. Um, uh, where she'd been working over there and met some of the children over there and they're very very nice yeah I did want to go all the way around Lake Victoria I did think uh, initially that I would go through into into Kenya and then down to Arusha in Tanzania to see uh, there's a guy there that I met at an HU meeting who um, uh, who runs a motorcycle tour guiding thing around near Arusha and also I was going to see one of the Wimmer girls, the English Wimmer girls in Tanzania by south of Lake Victoria who runs a motorcycle workshop for women uh, teaching the women, the African women to to fix motorbikes so that they can use them to get the women to clinics and hospitals and um, it's called Kikalili and our women group in uh, in Australia actually use her as their um, charity, their named charity, so fundraising for her. And I did want to go and see see her as well. And it meant going into into Kenya and then travelling around Lake Victoria. But what happened was um, I was on the borders of Uganda and Kenya, and then they had those elections. I don't know if you realised uh, they were having some elections in Kenya, and there was lot of violence and the, the town that I would have to go through um, en route um, Kisumo was was a hot spot they were actually having riots and burning tires and things like that and people I was staying with in Mabali on the border said 
don't go, don't go. Well, I might have risked it anyway, but it's turned out that my friend in in um, Masaka had got some time off so that I could go with her and her friend, her African friend, to go to Kidepo National Park in her van. Um so it just happened at that time. So I thought, well, okay. And it turned out that Talib wasn't in Arusha anyway. He was in Australia <laughs> at the time. So I thought, well, I'll just miss that one out. And um, and I didn't. And to get around to go and see see this girl, Piccalilli, was to the other way. It was much more difficult to come in from the um, western side. So I didn't get there. But most of the things I wanted to see, I saw. And, you know, if maybe if I'd, you know, had another couple of months and there weren't riots going on, I would have done it. Lake Victoria is huge too. Yes, it's huge. It's huge. Because like, it's in Uganda, Kenya and Tanzania, isn't it? And you to get around, what's the mileage to go around the lake? I don't know how far it is around. I know it's a long way. And there used to be ferries that went across and connected some of the different countries. But um, apparently there they aren't. I was talking to an English guy when I was up in uh, Murchison Falls and he said he tried to do it recently to get across um, from Tanzania, I think, back in, into Uganda and he couldn't. They've cancelled a lot of these ferries. So it, it would take a long time to get round it. It's uh, the roads up in Uganda, the roads that go around Lake Victoria, they're, they're pretty straightforward. But once you get down... Once you get down past um, the south of Kenya and then into Tanzania, it's very tricky. They're not, they're not great connections. You'd have to do a lot of different, you know, back roads, and I don't know how good they are now. You saw some wildlife while you were there as well. I remember you mentioning you were riding along and on the road, and you saw, um, I think you saw baboons at one point. Yes, I was going through on the Queen Elizabeth National Park and I saw all these baboons and I thought, oh, crikey, because they're big, you know, and, and there was a whole sort of gang of them. And um, and I, I, fortunately, they were going the same direction as me, so I was sort of creeping up behind them and I managed to stop and quickly take a photo from behind. And then I sort of very carefully sort of overtook them and I was I was a bit worried because if they jumped up at the bike, you know, would have had me off. No, no worries. And then I saw an elephant a bit later on. And um, uh, when I was there in 74, I had a bit of a, an experience with a wild elephant. And I and I wondered whether I ought to stop and take a photo. Sure. Fortunately, this time, because I've, I've got a zoom and my camera in 74 didn't have a zoom. But this camera had a zoom. So I was quite away from it and I could get a decent photo. Um, and I stopped and took that. And then, uh, yeah, um, I have got quite a lot of if I can get them off Facebook, <laughs> I have got quite a lot of really nice photos of zebra and um, different sort of um, deer and uh, warthogs and buffalo and and uh, things like that. Yeah, I've had, got some quite nice photos of, of animals. Linda, how much did the entire trip end up costing you? Uh, I, I honestly don't know. I'm not very good at keeping count of things. Um I'm really not very good at it. I just sort of load the bank card up with a few thousand dollars and then just hope it, you know. It it, it, it cost me about two and a half thousand dollars flights from Australia return. I think it was about two and a half thousand, and um, and it cost me a thousand for uh, yeah a thousand dollars for the for the bike. And. Uh, I don't know, because I got really confused with their money because, you know, like 300,000 Ugandan shillings 
is about a hundred dollars. <laughs> three hundred thousand. Well, that's, yeah. Three hundred thousand Ugandan shillings is about a hundred dollars. So I I got really confused most of the time what I was spending. Um, oh, I don't know. I really don't know. Probably. And this is a wild guess, Jim, but I'd say counting the airfare and counting the bike, um, probably about $6,000 or something. And how long was it? Three months. Wow, that's yeah. that's pretty darn good, isn't it? Well, you know, as I say, you know, I, I don't spend very much, I don't eat very much and I, and I don't, um, you know, being a little bike like that doesn't use very much petrol and... Um, and the camp, you know, the camping or the accommodation wasn't much. Yeah, you're not staying at hotels. No, not really. No, I mean, we we stayed at a couple of hotels, but they were very cheap, very very cheap hotels. You know. So what's the deal with the bike now? You you have it up for sale? Yes. If anybody wants a bike, there's one in Kampala. Um, they can contact me. I actually put it up on the. I've put it up on a couple of sites actually, adventure rider sites. I think I put it up on HU. And uh, Ian, the guy that's got it in, in Kampala, said, you know, just contact him and he'll sort it up for them. And it's an ideal little bike, you know, for, for getting around that country. You can't go fast. You mean you can't go fast because of the country? Yeah, well, no, you can't go fast because of the traffic. Oh, well, and the country. Yeah, well, that's the, what I mean. I mean, it's not so much yeah, the bike. It's, the, yeah. it's, it's where you are. No, you can't. You can't travel fast there. You know, you kill yourself if you if you try and do. I mean, I my bike had a top speed of about seventy kilometres an hour. I'm not 100 percent sure because the speedo sort of you know made a few funny um, you know flicks of the needle. <laughs> but I'd say I was probably doing not more than 75 at the most. Um, most of the time, I was doing between 50 and 60 kilometres an hour because you can't. You can't, you know, go any faster than that on the on the terrain and and with the traffic conditions. Um, so you don't need a bike that that's big and powerful. You don't. You need, all you need is something that carries what you want to take with you, and mine did perfectly. So if anyone wants a nice little one two five Yamaha, uh, there's one waiting for you in Kampala. Oh, there you go. If you're interested in the bike, you can always send us an email, and of course, we'll pass it on to Linda, and you can get yourself a bike. And it, and it sounds like a great place to go visit, so it'll be a, a great way oh, to do it. It is. it is, yeah. Well, Linda, it's been great to catch up with you, and it sounds like you just had an amazing trip. And I really hope that you're able to recover your photos from Facebook. Yes, I've got. I think I've got most of them, but of course, with you know, it's not such good quality once you've you know, you Facebook downsizes them, don't, don't they, with the pixels. But that's okay. At least it gives me, um, you know, gives me something to remember. Great to talk. Thanks, Linda. Thank you very much. Everybody have a really lovely Christmas. Thank you very much, Jim, and regards to Elizabeth. I've been speaking with Linda Bick, 72 years old, about her solo camping trip in Africa. And this piece of music that you're going to hear at the end is a recording of Linda and her friends. Now, what are you planning for your 72nd birthday? I just want to remind you that this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. 
Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much. If you like what you're hearing, you want to hear more, drop by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com. You can listen to all of our episodes for free. You can also listen to our other show, ARR Raw, the once-a-month roundtable talks that we do, um, all available on the website, and of course, anywhere that podcasts are downloaded. Also, if you want to help support the show, the show is built on a, a model of advertising and listener support to make the whole thing work and it's been going great so we would appreciate if you drop by the website and click on the support button there's many ways to do it anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you anything $50 or more is going to get you a mention on the show my name's Jim Martin now it's time to get out there and ride your bike see you next week hello this is Mike and I'm Alana from Going the Distance a Honeymoon Adventure and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio (laughs) 